Hello, welcome to the Public and Society Podcast. In this episode, we'll be focusing on leveling up. I'm Glenn Gottfried, Associate Director at Ipsos, and I'm joined by Zoe Billingham, Director of IPPR North. Welcome, Zoe. Hi there, Glenn. Today, we'll be doing a deep dive into leveling up and drawing on data from Ipsos's Leveling Up Index. We'll be setting the scene on the policy, analyzing leveling up the leveling up agenda, and offering some suggestions of what might happen with the leveling up agenda going forwards. Uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and watch the recording of this episode on our YouTube channel. This will be a regular series with episodes released bi-monthly covering all kinds of research produced by our public affairs team. Right, so why don't we kick off uh, and talk a little bit. I'll, I'll set the scene uh, by using some of our Ipsos as uh, leveling up tracker, which uh, we've been doing on our online random probability knowledge panel. Uh, so just talk a little bit about what, what people see. Uh, so overall, we found that 46% say the government spends less on their local area when compared to other areas. So that's the UK average all around. But when you look at it by region, it's, it's the perception is far worse in the North. So for example, 69% of residents in the Northeast say the government spends more on other areas compared to theirs. 60% in the Northwest, 56% in Yorkshire and the Hummer. So we've got a clear majority in the North thinking this. Uh, but, uh, you know, only a third in, in London say the same. Uh, and only 12% actually think that London gets more money spent on their area than others. Uh, so is this justified, Zoe? Well, I think there are two things going on here. I think, rightly, people are picking up on the fact that if we look at the last 10 years of public spending and where austerity and public spending cuts have fallen the hardest, those have been in the most more deprived communities of which we have a higher percentage in the north. So people are quite right to feel actually that cuts, especially those coming through local government, have been hardest felt in their areas. So it's really interesting the sort of regional split that you have in your data on that. And then secondly, I'd say on, on levelling up funding itself, obviously there are kind of a few different pots that the government over the last couple of years has developed, whether that's the levelling up fund, the towns fund, the shared prosperity fund. And I think the way that they've been distributed has felt quite random to people. There hasn't been a clear framework for how um, these funds are best targeted. And there's been a lot of ministerial discretion on where those funds have gone to. So I can... I wholly sympathise, to be honest, with the views of your knowledge panel in, in feeling that not only have the places that need government support the most felt um, undermined by, by the government's approach, um, but also that there's a slight sort of randomness in the distribution of levelling up funding that doesn't kind of give them confidence that it's going to the right places. And do you find it unusual that people in London, uh, despite a, a third of them saying that that the government spends more on other local areas than them, but only 12% think that the government spends more on their area than other areas. So I think when we look at London, look, what we're comparing really is which areas in the country have been cut hardest. So this isn't a case of one part of the country has received bountiful amounts of money from the government and other areas have received steep cuts, We're, it's 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 marginal. So it's not a surprise that people have mixed views on whether they perceive their area to have received a steeper cut than others. Okay, and as you know, or as everybody knows, uh, 
leveling up is a or was a flagship policy of Boris Johnson's government. Uh, it, it was probably one of the bigger things after getting Brexit done. Uh, but I, I'm interested to know about what what previous governments have done to do, reduce regional inequalities before. And, and I'm thinking something such as Northern Powerhouse. You know, were, were, were things like that successful? Did they where did they fall short? Well, firstly, Glenn, if I must just say, you know, I know we've, we've, we're on our third prime minister since the 2019 <laughs> election, but it's still their mandate to level up the country. That's still the manifesto on which Rishi, Rishi Sunak, you know, stands on today. And he actually did acknowledge that in his acceptance speech earlier this week. So I, I would just say, you know, it it is still the mandate of this government. Um, so I still very much hope and expect them to deliver on it. Of course, you're quite right to say that it isn't the first time that, you know, um, governments have tried to reduce regional inequality. You referred to the Northern Powerhouse, which was the Cameron Osborne version of levelling up, if you like, um, in 2010 through to the end of uh, the coalition government. And I think that that's that started, at least for the Conservative Party, um, that debate around actually we have under-resourced, under-invested um, and places that we haven't tapped into the potential of in the in the northern regions like ours. So um, that that certainly was a precursor to levelling up. But of course, before that, you know, they weren't the first government to think of it either. And actually, um, you know, Cameron spent the first part of his um, administration undoing much of what um, Labour had previously put in place in order to reduce regional inequality. And that included the dismantling of regional development agencies, which were regional infrastructure um, to coordinate sort of economic and investment activity on a regional basis. And he sought to undo those. He replaced them then with um, local enterprise partnerships, which are now seeing another evolution. So, I mean, part of me thinks, you know, if only we had just stuck to the infrastructure, invested in it better of what we had, as opposed to the the constant changing in this space. You know, regional inequality does not reduce overnight. This is not a short-term strategy. Um, where we've seen it work well, you know, the, the most sort of cited example, I suppose, is that in, in Germany of the reunification of East and West. And, you know, what we saw there is sustained commitment over decades to this issue and and that's the scale of the challenge we face not a sort of couple of years on this approach couple of years on that approach so i mean really i you know i sort of wish it was a a cross party a cross party agreement on it but i know politics isn't that simple <laughs> our data shows that 34% say that they either know nothing about leveling up or never even heard of leveling up compared to just 24% who say they either know a fair amount or a great deal about it. Uh, looking at trend data from that for months prior to that, it, it shows that the number of people seem to have, more people seem to have started hearing about it. They recognize the word, but the number of people saying that they, they know a fair amount or a great deal about it hasn't really gone up significantly. Uh, is leveling up just a buzzword for this government? I think it's interesting you pick up on on this framing point because it is super important. And um, like Ipsos's own um, survey data, we've also seen that in our in our qualitative research, when we talk to people about leveling up, you know, it, it, it chimes with what you've heard. You know, a, a, a fair chunk of people have heard of it. Uh, a lot of people can't tell you what it means beneath that. But look, I think you know. We end up in a sort of, do you trust government to get on and deliver what it says it's going to? So I, you know, am very much in the camp of 
stick to your guns, leveling up the phrase, the term, it is out there. It does chime with a lot of people. It did capture a sentiment back in 2019 about how people saw inequalities play out across the country. So better lean into it and deliver it, put some money behind it, get the agreement of Treasury to actually invest in it um, and see it through rather than abandon it and leave people disillusioned that this is just another but government buzz phrase that isn't seen through. Um, and actually, you'll, you know, you'll see when looking across the political parties that actually other political parties um, are using it too, um, which is which is quite interesting, actually. And, and there has been some polling to suggest, actually, that other parties are now becoming more trusted on levelling up than the government itself. So the idea has stuck. People expect it to be delivered. And I know, you know, it, it's not it's not sort of trendy to insist on continuing with it with a certain phrase when it hasn't yet been delivered on. Um, but why not, as I say, go deeper into it, back it up with some investment. And we've got Gove back in um, the Department for Leveling Up now. You know, he was the one that curated the missions, the 12 Leveling Up missions and created those. So I would have thought for his own personal um, and professional satisfaction, he would want to see those through to seeing change in the country. So I sort of urged them to stick with it, to be honest. And going back to uh, the 2019 general election, how much of a factor or a contributory factor, I suppose, did leveling up play in the Conservatives' victory? I mean, obviously, things like Brexit were were a massive matter back then, but how much did leveling up play, do you think, to convincing a number of people that might have not voted Tory in the past uh, did so because they liked what they heard about leveling up? Oh, yeah, I think it, it was a massive reason. I mean, you know, their very short manifesto in 2019 certainly had leveling up running through the entirety of it. Um, it's what, of course, won them what has been dubbed the borrowed votes and the, hence the borrowed seats of, of the northern and midland constituencies that of which some had gone conservative for the first time. So I think it's absolutely essential. And that's why, just going back to our point earlier, you know, that's the mandate that Rishi Sunak has today, too. Um, of course, he has a, a seat in North, North Yorkshire himself. So I hope that um, if he's listening um, well to his constituents, that he'll be receiving the same message. Okay, so why don't we talk about the leveling up agenda more specifically, get down to the to the details of it. So, you know, as as everybody should know by now that the government outlined 12 missions in its leveling up plan. And these missions, you know, they're they're a wide breadth of coverage, I think. They cover so many different aspects of of people's lives from things like increased pay and employment uh, to better local transport, to internet con connectivity, better uh, primary schools, uh, better health and well-being, uh, more better homes, uh, uh, you know, things things of that nature, as well as crime. Uh, in, do you think that it covers the right priorities? Is it touching up on the things that the people want to see? Well, I think I was almost, to be honest, I was quite surprised at how broad the government went in defining levelling up through those 12 missions and indeed the submissions below each each of the headlines. Um, I think they they pick up a lot on on public concerns and sudden, certainly chime with I know what what you've been hearing, whether that's around well-being, pride of place, investment, crime. So I think they're the right broad areas. I think what's really needed next is a better sense of prioritization. I think that's what they didn't leave us with. It's almost like they're so broad. It's sort of like, well, where does your first pound go? Well, 
the leveling up white paper, the leveling up missions don't really tell us that. And I think that's what's needed. And maybe now Gover's back to the Department of Leveling Up. That will be what he does. I think there's two other things on the on the missions too. Um, so, you know, the when the when the white paper and the missions were published earlier this year, it was clear Treasury hadn't actually endorsed them. There was no new spending commitments behind some of these quite big um, objectives. You know, improving healthy life expectancy. You know, that's the work of generations that requires anti-poverty strategies you know that is that's a big thing to seek to shift um and without the treasury and financial backing i just don't see how they're going to happen and then the the other thing on on the missions is the accountability and the the degree to which government now really sees this as core to how government functions and how government will be um assessed as failing or not on its mm -hmm. objectives and i noticed that the um the leveling up bill which is very welcome but it kind of gives the government a lot of wriggle room to kind of change these missions and you know scrap some of them later if if they're not going well whereas what we'd like to see and what we at IPPR North have talked about is clear accountability through a kind of body that's external to the government to keep check on the leveling up missions which would be um nothing surprising if you know if they really are at the heart of what government does they should want their feet to be held to the fire and should want the leverage over ministers across government the chancellor included um to make sure they happen so when we we actually took these uh, 12 missions on our our leveling up index uh and we we presented it to the public and we asked them to prioritize which ones meant most or were more important to them and the top three mentioned were reducing crime, 41% of the people mentioned that. Second was improving people's mental health and well-being, another 41% uh, mentioned that. And then uh, increasing wages, uh, which was mentioned by 39%. Uh, but that's the UK overall. But when you, when you start looking at it regionally, then things start to vary a little bit. So, for example, there was a greater focus on wages and jobs in the Northeast, crime in London and the West Midlands, and then public transport in the Southwest and Northwest. Uh, I mean, how, how, do you, how do you deliver uh, a, such a policy or agenda that, that appropriately delivers the priorities for people all across the country when the priorities differ so much? I think this is where government has to work really closely with Metro mayors and local authorities to deliver because it's exactly that variation that you speak to that that is a true reflection of the different needs of different places across the country and that's why we can't continue with a sort of whitehall led you know blanket approach to these massive questions um you know on taking transport as the example the the sort of last three prime ministers if i may say um you know have toyed around with whether they're going to deliver northern powerhouse rail in full which is the line that would connect liverpool to hull now that's a major you know a major and really important and critical piece of infrastructure for the north um our, tr our train infrastructure in particular is is poorer than the rest of the country so it's quite right that that should be prioritized but it's been sort of kicked around as a as a political and spending football and no one's quite now um followed through and committing to it um, it doesn't surprise me, actually, um, from what you say, Glenn, on wages, for instance. We know that kind of good work, which includes, you know, jobs that are well paid, is, a, is essential to how people in the North perceive 
um, leveling up. And of course, just the other thing to say is that these things are, of course, all interconnected. You know, if if people have good work with stable contracts, good wages, you know, that has a direct knock on a pack to people's well-being, to their mental health. Right. So I'd like to talk a little bit about our leveling up index, if that's all right. So at Ipsos, we created the leveling up index, which is designed to track public perceptions against each of the 12 missions uh, within the white paper. So using public opinion data from our online random probability UK knowledge panel, it generates a score for each mission. So broadly speaking, the higher the score, the more positive the public perceptions are associated with that particular mission. Uh, and a score above zero generally indicates that, that perceptions are more positive or they at least outweigh the negative ones and vice versa. So we're actually able to also look at this uh, by region to see where regional difference lies. So for example, uh, the most negative uh, 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 indices uh, in the index uh, are by some margin are devolution. So people are less satisfied with, with where devolution is in their local area. Uh, but R&D and investment, crime and homes are also, uh, have also attracted more negative than positive responses from the public. Uh, so why don't we talk about a couple of these? So how about crime? Probably not surprisingly seems to be to be the index score the lowest is in London and the West Midlands, perhaps that's because they're they're more urban areas. But I mean, generally in the north as well, uh, people are more dissatisfied uh, than satisfied with with how crime is tackled in their in their local area. It, it's a really interesting one because it honestly, this was the one thing that did surprise me actually on the Ipsos index as to how strongly this came out as a priority for people. We know when we speak to people, it's a priority, but this result was stronger than I expected. I think there are a few things going on here though. Um, partly there's, you know, we've really seen a decline in the visibility of justice in our neighbourhoods. So whether that's fewer police on the streets, whether that's the shutting of courts of local courts, county courts in 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 our places across the country. You know, these are things that are the sort of visible incarnation of justice happening in places that we don't see in the same way. The decline of the local press, that's, a, that's another element, of course. You know, local reporters used to have the capacity to go and sit in on um, local um, proceedings and, you know, report on them and write them up. And that ha doesn't happen in the same way either. So I think part of this is a kind of perception issue based on the fact that justice happening is, is less visible. From when we speak to people, and in fact, I was in um, Stoke-on-Trent the other weekend doing some participatory work, doing some qualitative research. And actually, the focus was very much on the antisocial bit of the crime and antisocial um, behaviour. Um, and that's just to say, you know, there are pockets of Stoke-on-Trent, like there are in, in many towns and cities across the country, where, you know, people feel less safe than others. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the, that's the more immediate, um, interaction people have with, with, um, crime and antisocial behavior on a, on a sort of day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, that's about creating spaces that people can go to. So people don't feel like they need to, um, hang on street corners sort of thing. Um, that's about making sure that 
people are being looked after, people that are in, in crises in life, whether that's financial, mental health, are also being looked after. So there's plenty of things that can be done on that front. But from our conversations, I'd say it's more the antisocial behaviour that um, pe- people are focused on mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and, and actually uh, a question on antisocial behaviour, whether it's gone up in your local area or gone down in the past few years, uh, is actually part of this index. And, and indeed, as you say, more people say that it's gone up and, and certainly has gone down. Okay, let's talk about devolution a little bit, because uh, as you know, this is this is one of the missions. Uh, and the mission itself is by 2030 that every part of England that wants one will have a devolution deal with powers at or approaching the highest level of devolution and a simplified long-term funding settlement. So interesting, interesting scoring here uh, on this one. So it's a negative uh, score uh, across England. So that means uh, that people are are less satisfied with their, so to speak, uh, power to influence, uh, perhaps, so to say. Uh, and, it, and it differs across the north. So, so the, there's more negative scores, actually, about devolution in the north, which is interesting because there are indeed elected mayors uh, throughout the north, uh, more so than, than in the south at the moment, at least. Uh, what do you think about this one, Zoe? Yeah, I was really interested to see um, this result. And as I understand it, this means that what this tells us is people in the north actually want more devolution. So maybe they've had a taste of it because, of course, we have got the best coverage um, of metro mayors in the country in the in in the north of England, um, and maybe want more of it. So that's that that's a good sign. I was interested actually in the result that's kind of split out the local authority and um, and appetite for for metro mayors. I mean, obviously every area in um, across the country has a local authority, whereas the metro mayors don't yet have full coverage, although I think that's where the government wants to get to or did want to get to at least. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, we know that people have greater levels of trust in local government um, than central government. And it's reassuring to see that they see power coming closer to them, either through local authority um, strength or that of metro mayors Mm -hmm. as a positive way to help turn around their places and positively impact their lives. And I think, you know, when we, we've we been kind of stepping back from the data and thinking about what what's really, what are the things really driving people's sense of what's needed to level up? And I end up sort of saying three things, that it's about wealth, it's about power, and it's about opportunity. And you know, obviously this one on devolution speaks very much to that sense of powerlessness and wanting greater representation and power. Um, so that's that's re- really reassuring too. Of course, I would also champion um, greater diversity of the political leadership that we have as well, um, making sure that um, the, the, the people that are representing, whether it's a constituency level or at local government level, mm-hmm feel that they come from the people and that's often that's something that comes up in our qualitative work mm-hmm. that whilst people want more devolution and um and power to be held locally they also notice that a lot of people in politics and in power don't represent the communities mm-hmm. where they live in terms of their backgrounds social status and and that's that sort of thing so it the two come together i mean in terms of devolution what other than 
local mayors or maybe it's just local mayors I mean what 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 things what changes do you think should be put in place to make people feel more empowered over the, the decision making in their local communities yeah I think that's a that's a really good question I mean I do think the general move to having um, full coverage of metro mayors certainly in England is is a good thing and something that we would champion but the work doesn't stop there as you rightly say because actually you know even in local government with all the best intentions and being closer to the people you can still replicate some of the kind of silos or or detached policy making that happens in Whitehall maybe at a different scale but nonetheless it, it doesn't automatically mean that things are done perfectly and actually one big question that we're looking at at the moment through our own project on leveling up um, is about how communities engage with local government and metro mayors at the local level you know there's there's a range of ways in which it's done but i would say it's very varied um and and quite patchy in terms of how well local governmental institutions engage with their their own communities I mean, it's quite it's quite astounding really the variation so in some places we might see things like standing citizen juries where a random um, sample of a local population is asked to come and kind of comment on on decisions being made locally. Um, in other places, you know, they're still very much at the other end of the spectrum, which is occasionally put out a consultation and hope you get some good responses, you know. So mm -hmm. we've got a wide range, actually, of how how policymaking is done at the local level. And it's not always better than 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 Westminster, but I say there's some good examples and some innovative examples to suggest that it can be and should be. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's just talk about uh, mission one, which is pay, employment, and productivity. Uh, that the government's target is to that employment and productivity and pay will have risen in every area of the UK, uh, and with the gap between top performing areas and uh, lower performing areas closing. Uh, so looking at our leveling up index, you can see people are slightly more positive uh, than negative about uh, pay and employment and productivity in the local area. However, there's massive variation, particularly in the north. So those in the northwest and Yorkshire and Humber are more positive than negative, but only just uh, not as as much as or not as positive as uh, the areas in the south. But then particularly in the northeast, uh, uh, they have a, a negative score. So more people there have more negative perceptions than positive up there. So what, what do you think, explain this? And, and do you think this, this priority is going to become more important uh, in the public's minds as we, we go through this uh, oncoming cost of living crisis? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is such an essential and core area to how people experience the economy. I mean, you know, the, the the economy and economic conditions are often spoke about in very lofty terms, but at the end of the day, the money you have in your pocket from your job um, is is how you determine how how comfortable or not you feel um, and how well you're able to face the, the cost of living crisis. It doesn't surprise me, um, looking at your data, that the northeast comes out lower there. We do have higher levels of poverty in the northeast um of course the north is three regions and they do have their variation in 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 how well they're 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 performing economically and i would say as well that especially when we do our 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 work speaking to people in across the north you know there's something about we're still we're still sort of looking in in some places and especially some of the post-industrial towns for that sort of positive vision of what the jobs 
of the future look like? And I think, you know, the North is leading on lots of the renewable energy. So that's a really exciting area. But in pockets of the North, and I'm sure this is uh, true across other parts of the country, you know, working in warehouses has become a very dominant form of employment where you have precarious contracts, low pay, and, you know, frankly, working conditions that aren't, you know, inspiring for people's well-being or mental health. So I think this is a this is a multifaceted <laughs> bit, <laughs> bit of the bit of the question, mm-hmm. but you know really speaks to why we need a a long term and stable vision for places like the north, so that we crowd in that private sector investment commitment backed up by the public sector, and so that this isn't just a kind of any job anywhere question. This is we want good jobs um, mm-hmm. that that pay well, offer people stability, and contribute to those important missions including you know improved wages and improved mental health which are so important to people across the country so this is foundational to me pay employment productivity it's it's foundational to how people are are, how resilient people are and and certainly how they'll be feeling the cost of living crisis at the moment right so why don't we talk about what next for leveling up um as we 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 discussed earlier it was a, a johnson uh boris johnson flagship policy but nonetheless, was written into the 2019 uh, Conservative Manifesto. Uh, we've since then had two prime ministers, and Rishi Sunak, has, has, as of yesterday, from the date of this recording, has become prime minister. And he did actually mention it in his, his first speech in, num- in front of number 10 yesterday uh, to say that uh, we need to, to get back to leveling up. But of course, didn't go into too much detail about, uh, or any detail really, about what that entails. But he did, as you said, uh, brought Michael Gove back, uh, which is, you know, this is Michael Gove really is is probably the writer of, of the leveling up policy in, 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 the, in the white paper. This is really, truly his policy. So what, what do you think that means by one, bringing Michael Gove back into the forefront to, to lead leveling up? Uh, but nonetheless, you know, Rishi also reminded us that tough times are ahead. Uh, it, you know, and, and it's, it's very likely we're going to be seeing spending cuts. Uh, and, and perhaps uh, more austerity. So, I mean, how, how do you deliver a leveling up agenda in a period of austerity? I mean, frankly, in terms of what we've seen from Rishi so far, I'm very much in two minds about how this is going to go. Um, you know, we mustn't forget that he was chancellor for two of the last three years um, where we didn't see his own treasury put their financial and economic clout behind the levelling up agenda under his leadership. But as you say, on the other hand, he did mention it in his acceptance speech um, as prime minister earlier this week. So he clearly is, you know, very conscious of the fact that that is the platform on which the Conservatives got elected in 2019 and the mandate that he has today But the evidence I've seen so far of when he has had control over things that could shift the dial on levelling up hasn't been reassuring at all. And as you say, we now have um, the the threat of austerity, which, by the way, is remains a choice that if further austerity is pursued under the Sunak Hunt government, then, you know, that's a political choice that they're choosing to make. as it was back in 2010. And it puts at risk 
any progress that has been made on leveling up as as far as I can see. And actually, you know, there are alternatives. Um, you know, for instance, those uh, who over the last few years have amassed vast amounts of personal wealth through the pandemic, through the cost of living crisis, whilst others have been suffering um, so 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 terribly, for me is an obvious place to move to 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 ask those with immense personal wealth to contribute a little bit more in order to not have to make the decision to um, to cut back public spending and public services. Because I think again. Sometimes we talk about austerity a bit in the abstract as if it's just sort of a financial calculation done over there. But what does it mean in practice? It means cutting public services. You know, this is the NHS, which is already, you know, in a very weak position, as especially as we go into winter. It's about the salaries of public servants and teachers. I mean, this is this is what austerity looks like and feels like. So um as I say, it's a political choice if they decide to go into a period of austerity and cutting back public services even further. Um, and I would urge them not to pursue that approach, especially at a time when people's financial uh, resilience is is just so weak. According to our September Ipsos political monitor, uh, when asked, uh, more say they trust labor to reduce inequalities between between different regions of the country than the conservatives uh, by a margin of 42% to 19%. And that increased a little bit uh, over, over the summer during the, uh, the leadership contests. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Labour has, has generally maintained a, a, at least a slight lead over the conservatives now that lead's been a little bit extended. So, so my question is really, what, what, is, what do you think Labour's response should be or will be uh, to a levelling up agenda? What will they have to offer uh, in two years' time uh, at the next general election? Well, it's really interesting. And, and in a sense, you know, as, as we spoke about earlier, Labour was focused on reducing regional inequality. It just wasn't called levelling up. So this has been a long-standing Labour agenda. Um, and when Boris Johnson sort of capitalised on, on on that agenda and called it levelling up, he hit on sort of a political jackpot, really. So um, given then combined with the sort of scant progress that's been made over the last few years since since that since that promise to level up, it's kind of no surprise that people are looking elsewhere for alternatives. And what I would say, and this goes back to the wealth power opportunity framing, really, of of levelling up as I see it, you know, the government's done a very scattergun approach. It's underinvested. It hasn't made clear really what its priorities are um, and it hasn't seen things through. So what I would say to either the government trying to do levelling up better this time round or a future Labour government um, would be, you know, prioritise. Tell us of these missions, which ones you're really going to put your next pound towards um invest to a scale that will shift the dial on regional inequality as opposed to sort of slightly random feeling funds that are thinly spread across the country hold yourself accountable have something like an independent body to make sure it's clear to the public and everyone else that this is a long-standing agenda that you don't mind being held um tightly to account on um and get on with it because actually all polling shows that public expect levelling up um, 
to happen, it's still a central concern of the public. So whilst mm -hmm. some political leaders might be feeling a bit um, frustrated with it as an agenda, fine, but the public still expect and want this to happen. So focus your attention, focus your resources, um, and and let's commit to to changing the kind of economic and power structures of this country because that is what this is fundamentally about. And, and just thinking about the the next election, I mean, the leveling up tracker, we do ask some some questions about how likely is it that the leveling up agenda is going to have a positive difference or make a positive difference to your local area in the next few years. And majority of, of people say that it'll make no difference in the next few years. But then we also ask the question, you know, will it have a positive impact within your local community within the next 20 years? And still a majority uh, say not very likely or, or not at all likely. Uh, so, so it feels like there is a bit of pessimism uh, within within the, uh, the the general public, but how much is that going to matter? You think in twenty twenty four, when the next election happens, uh, will will the government have the benefit of that they weren't able to actually carry out their their the leveling up agenda because of things such as the, the pandemic, which slowed things down, or or do you think that the public are are going to judge the current government on what it's achieved by that point, or do you think the the public will be be more likely to to not necessarily give them the benefit of the doubt, but but acknowledge that it is a long term policy and that any benefits uh, from it will will take a while to see. Yeah, yeah, it's a difficult one because, of course, with the last few weeks of sort of chaos in the government, um, I would say that's going to be more front of people's minds rather than have they delivered on the leveling up agenda. I would say that there will be things that the government will be able to point to on levelling up. Um, whilst the levelling up funds, towns fund, etc., are not anywhere near enough, they are delivering small and important improvements across places. So there will be things that the Conservatives can point to. But I just think that the, the sort of counter to that, especially if we move back into a period of, of austerity, cutting back you know, public services, cost of living, inflation eroding people's pay packets, those countervailing forces will be more significant for people's day-to-day -day lives than the small improvements that have been so far made on the levelling up agenda. So, um, so overall, I'd say, you know, unless the government really does now prioritise, invest and hold themselves accountable on this agenda, the feeling will be one of disappointment um that leveling up was the promise not delivered at the next election great i think that's all we have for today so i want to thank our listeners uh for tuning in and particularly want to thank zoe uh for joining us from ippr north a pleasure uh, if you liked what you heard uh please do subscribe to our, our our podcast channel or you could watch the video on our youtube link and also in the below description on the YouTube uh, channel, you can find a link to the leveling up index where you can find all the data that we were talking about today. So thank you very much. Thank you.